0: Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready, so you don't have to get ready. Jesus. Nine one one.
1: Soul Patrol. Jesus. Nine one one. Two man car. Jess Romero Eddie Chavez. Hey, Eddie. Hope you had a great weekend. I sure did. Me too, Jess. Welcome. Good morning. Yep, yep. Hey, um a <clears throat> lot to talk about today. We're gonna to be talking about destroying occult objects uh using the Libra Crystal method, which is a very important question that many people ask. So we'll be getting to that. But before we do, we get questions oftentimes from the audience. Email questions, Eddie, and and we have I think two questions that we'd like to share this morning. Yeah,
2: just I uh, we're gonna I'm gonna read through a couple of these and, and let you answer them. Um uh, so we're gonna start off with the first one here, Jess. Uh, this is from Mark and Claire. And she says, uh, they they say, we were listening to War College today and my wife and I would like some clarification or advice on our 25 year old son. Uh, quick background, he lives in a uh, with a woman who, in an apartment and they have a one year old together. So apparently they're not married, they're just living together. Uh, her mom uh, is into witchcraft as well as her brother. Her best friends are the LGBTQ community, and they often, uh, uh, and they often babysit our grandson. Wow. It's a terrible situation. Our son, Taylor, uh, also has a gaming addiction and most likely a pornography addiction. My question to you and Kyle, uh, in this case uh, you, Jess, is can we pray imprecatory prayers for him and do the nine-day novena for him? Uh, Can we do the Latin binding prayer against the spirit of Cupid? Uh, Please advise.
1: Yes. Anybody who has a a child, a a son or a daughter in this situation should be doing novenas over and over. I mean, one novena after another. I would start with the nine-day novena to Our Lady of Sorrows. Why? When you pray for nine days to Our Lady of Sorrows, the 9 day novena, and you ask her, what is the evil spirit that's influencing my family? And what is the evil spirit that's attacking me? She'll reveal it to you within nine days. I would also, as head of house uh, over this, uh, of uh, this 25-year-old son that doesn't live with you, I would also do a, a nine-day novena prayer to St. Michael the Archangel Chaplet. That's probably one of the most powerful spiritual warfare chaplets that we have It's called the St. Michael the Archangel Chaplet. Then as a father, and even as a mother, you can do the Latin binding prayer, which is found on page 19 of Father Ripperger's book, Deliverance Prayers for the Lady. You can do that over the children that live with you, even if they don't live with you. Uh, And uh, uh, once they've reached the age of majority, uh, you can still do imprecatory prayers and deprecatory. You can do both, even though they've reached the age of majority. It's because uh, of the fact that uh, the fourth commandment gives you right, the right to do so. Obviously, when your children live at home and uh, you have a lot more power over them, when they have their own place and they have their own families, the spiritual authority does diminish, diminish somewhat because they've started their own life. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So here's, in a nutshell, what I would do for an unconverted son or daughter. I would... Do the divine mercy every day at 3 p.m., preferably you and your wife together for your unconverted son, your 25-year-old son. Remember, there's a promise for those that pray the divine mercy. Our Lord Jesus Christ told St. Faustina, he said, if you say this prayer, the divine mercy with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give that soul the grace of conversion. So that's a direct promise from Jesus Christ. So every one of us that wants to bring their our kids back home should be praying the, the divine mercy honor around 3 p.m. every day secondly mom and dad should be praying the rosary every day for your unconverted children what's the promises of the rosary well you want obviously you want to merit the grace of conversion for them but promise number 11 of the rosary of the 15 promises is this our lady says you shall obtain all you ask of me by the recitation of the rosary now <clears throat> Just because you're praying the rosary every day and the divine mercy and doing a novena, uh, trains of novenas for your unconverted children, you also have to live in a state of grace. Because if you don't live in a state of grace, your parents, your, your prayers are weak. Especially if you're in a mortal sin, you're, you're cut off from God. So if you live in a state of grace, you're personally protected from the diabolical And your tears, your pain and suffering for your your wife, your children, they're meant to purify you and make you a saint. Your prayers become more efficacious as you become holier. That's what the Bible says in James 5.16. And so your role as a father and even as a mother is to pray and do penance and suffer for the conversion of your son, your daughter. And here's something else I'll throw in the mix. How about adding a weekly holy hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament for your unconverted children to merit the grace of conversion for them? And uh, and finally, I would also say there's a prayer in Father Ripperger's book. It's called Commission of the Care of Soul and Body for Another Person. Uh, that's on page 35 of his book. It's a powerful prayer to pray for your unconverted children. And uh, and if you want to know the difference between imprecatory and deprecatory prayers. Imprecatory are generally prayers where you say "I, I, I bless you," and deprecatory would be prayers where you would be basically saying, "May God bless you, may God bless you." But uh, but just once again, uh, based on on the right of mom and dad by natural law, uh, you can pray imprecatory prayers over your adult children uh, who are not in a vocation, and obviously in this situation uh this the kids are not on a vocation. you also asked about the cupid prayer breaking uh, unholy unholy attractions that's also yes. on father that's also on father Ripperger's book I think it's on page thirty uh it's a prayer that parents pray uh to to break spirits of cupid or spirits of unholy attraction obviously, if the person is praying that himself it's going to be more powerful but uh yeah mom and dad should be praying that prayer for their children to break unholy attractions. Eddie, is there another yes. question? Yeah, there's another question. I just wanted to say also, isn't
2: it uh, more efficacious for people that are praying this to remain in a, in a state of grace? I mean, I know you went over that, but how, how important is it? I mean, uh, you know, how do our prayers decrease in uh, the uh, degree of efficaciousness uh, if we are not in a state of grace?
1: Good question. It's, it's, it's this simple. Here it is. When you're in a state of grace... God is living in your soul. So God is literally tabernacling in your soul. And so you're in you're in direct communication with God because God resides in the human soul when you're in a state of sanctifying grace. And so God hears your prayer because you're in friendship with God. You're you're in right relationship with God. When you're in a state of mortal sin, all the catechisms teach this, all of them, is that mortal sin separates you from God. So your soul is now black. Your soul has has no sanctifying grace. The Trinity does not reside in your soul. And so the Bible is very clear verses like in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 where it says your sins cut you off from God. Uh, You have other verses, John chapter 9 31 where God says, I do not hear the prayers of wicked people. When you're not in a right relationship with God and you're in mortal sin, God does not hear your prayers. Literally God does this to you. His fingers in his ears. Unless... When does God listen to you when you're in mortal sin? He does. When you cry out to him. Psalm 130. Lord, I cry out to you from the depths of my heart, O Lord. When you have that prick of conscience and that moment of, man, I'm blowing it. I got to get right with God. And you reach out to God in prayer and say, Lord, I am so sorry. God listens to you at that moment. But if you're just praying to God and you're in mortal sin, you're living with your girlfriend, you say, nah, you don't go to mass. And you're saying, Lord, you know, help me here and help me there. He doesn't hear those prayers when you're in mortal sin. You must repent first and get right with God so he can hear your prayers.
2: So Jess, when you pray Our Lady of Sorrow, that novena, then uh you your your sentiment in, in a sense is is with the Virgin Mary at that point, right? Because she had sorrows in her life, and obviously we have sorrows in our life. Therefore, you're kind of aligning the uh the sen- the human sentiment part of it, right?
1: Yeah, here's what's happening with that. The Blessed Virgin, uh, all the, uh, the great minds of the church, the, the, what you would call the approved authors, St. Thomas Aquinas, Don Scotus, all the giants, they say that when the Blessed Virgin Mary and John 19, under the foot of the cross when she was there looking at her son, at that moment, because she had entered into, into the passion with her son, in fact, there's a whole tradition called the seven sorrows of Mary, where there are seven points during the passion where she really acutely suffered. But at the foot of the cross was her final suffering, and the, the, the approved authors of the church tell us that at that moment God the Trinity downloaded, I'll use a computer term, downloaded uh, all the uh, all the graces uh, to the Blessed Virgin Mary at that moment. And so now that's what we call her our Lady, uh, our Lady of the Mediatrix of all graces. All the graces of the Trinity were downloaded to her at that moment. And now she's the one that dispenses graces now from that point for all salvation history, and also what she received at that point at the foot of the cross she received if you read John chapter nineteen in the Bible, it says, and a port a sword will pierce her soul so that she will she will uh so the thoughts of many will be laid bare or laid open that the authors of the church have said that now the blessed virgin Mary. She has, by the by the grace of God, the Trinity, she's been able to give us now, under that title, Our Lady of Sorrows, when you go to her in a novena, she will reveal to you the things in your heart. She will reveal to you your personal defects, imperfections, and sins that you're wrestling with. Oh, that's what I'm wrestling with. She will, she will reveal to you the sin that your family, the demonic spirit, the, 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 the generational spirit that your family has been plagued with alcoholism, gambling, whatever. Our Lady of Sorrows has been given the grace to reveal to each individual and family the sin that you're afflicted with. And she gives you the grace also to overcome that sin by that title. Jesus 911, stick around, we'll be right back. I think we got one more question. Then we'll jump into uh, our topic for today.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151.
1: Soul Patrol Jesus 911. Eddie, that last question, I want to just uh, recap that because that's an important question. So I'm I'm just going to go slow here with the audience, okay? Every one of us is dealing with, we have imperfections, defects, and disorders. Every one of us. Personal ones. And we call those sin. But a lot of that comes from our family line. Generational. And so, I'll make it simple. If you want to know and you want to overcome these defects and imperfections and disorders that we all have as a result of, of original sin and actual sin, and if you want to know the type of generational sin that afflicts your family, if you go on the internet, there is a, there's a nine-day novena. It's called the Novena to Our Lady of Sorrows. Okay, You, pr- you ask Our Lady... Uh, Our Lady of Sorrows, reveal to me the, the the sin that I'm dealing with, that defect and imperfection that I'm dealing with. That may even be demonic, and reveal to me that generational spirit that's afflicting my family, my children, my wife. As you start doing the nine-day novena, day one, day no, and I would I would recommend that you do the rosary first. Do the rosary first. And then the Novena prayer, it's right after. It's a a short prayer. I promise you, within nine days, you're going to have a clear, clear image in your mind. you say, ah, that's what I've been dealing with for 30 years. Whoa. Trust me, I've done this. That's what my family's dealing with. That's what my kids are dealing with the Blessed Virgin Mary will give you a clarity like you've never received before in those nine days and you're going to know what evil spirit is attacking you and your family. And as you do the the 19 Novena to Our Lady of Sorrows, she also gives you within that 19 Novena the strength to overcome that evil spirit and that and that, and 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 to get rid of that uh, gen- generational spirit that's afflicting your family. Again, Eddie, people don't have to go to a crystal ball. All they have to do is go to Our Lady of Sorrows, and you don't have that's to go right. crystal. Yeah, mirror, mirror on the wall, what's the you know? No, you don't have to do that. Just mm-hmm. uh, go to the Blessed Virgin Mary at the foot of the cross in John 19. All the graces of the Trinity were downloaded to her at that moment, and she's now forevermore called the Mediatrix of all graces. And so she will, and if you read John 19, she has the power now to reveal the thoughts of people. She's given given that power by God. And so every single every single Catholic, this would be a good thing uh for you to do if you want to know, okay, now I know it's been revealed to me what I'm struggling with, what my family's struggling with. Now you know how to uh you know pray against it and and also practice the virtue that's going to give you strength against that. That vice that's been revealed.
2: Yeah, just that's clear, clear discernment. I would say, huh? Clear discernment as to what's going on in your uh, in your family and uh, and how to how to deal with it. Um, Yeah, that's that's awesome. Just let's go to the second question here. Yes. Uh, Someone else asks, uh, can you please explain the authority structure again and give examples of what to say and uh, what to say and do when giving such a blessing?
1: Okay, the authority structures, I'll make them quick, but if somebody wants them, I'll just email me and, and I'll just send them to you, jessyromero.com. The authority structure is uh, and when you can give a blessing. Offspring, the, the children below the age of, of majority, yes, mom and dad can lay hands and do imprecatory prayers, okay? Um, offspring or children at the age, at, at or beyond the age of majority, that's 18. Yes, mom and dad can lay hands on them and do imprecatory and deprecatory prayers. In the book, Prayers Over Their Children, who are at the age of majority uh, due to obligation, Father Ripperger says that, that mom and dad can even, when the kids move out of the house, continue to do imprecatory prayers uh, according to the fourth commandment because of piety. Number three, married sons. Ma- yes, mom and dad can lay hands on them and do, and do deprecatory prayers. Married daughters, yes, dad and mom can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers. But for that, you've got to ask your husband's permission. Like, like anytime I bless my daughter, Anne-Marie, I've asked her husband before because she's no longer mine. I've asked my son-in-law, Rob, Rob, can I bless your wife? He goes, oh, of course, of course you guys. She's your daughter. But I've asked. Okay. I, I don't assume. Uh, grandparents. Yes, grandparents can lay, can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers. Uh, over their grandchildren, but you have to do it with your parents' permission. At least ask them, hey, I'm going to be, I'm, when you guys come over, when I see my grandkids, I'm going to bless them. I'm, I'm going to lay hand. Oh, no problem, dad. You go ahead and knock yourself out. You have to have that respect and ask your kids, I've done that. Uh, Godparents, yeah,
2: yeah. Real quickly, so is the permission you're getting from from the uh, spouses, is that for the laying on of hands or
1: or both that and the deprecatory prayers? you can you can always pray uh for, for anybody. You don't have need permission for anybody. It's in the Bible. It's it, you can always just say in uh in fact I think I have I think I have the Bible verse there. In the Old Testament there is a verse where uh I'll look it up right now. Where the Jews tell each other, you know, they oh yeah, Ruth chapter 3 verse 10. Uh the Jews look at each other and say, "May the Lord bless you." Uh one lay person to another. So you don't need permission from anybody to bless each other you can walk by the street and tell the person walking the other side hey may god bless you the guy in the car next to you the bank teller the grocery clerk hey may god bless you now laying on of hands that's something different because that shows you have authority over them you can tell anybody that prayer may god bless you ruth chapter 3 verse 10 but uh when it comes to the laying on of hands that's particular that's a priestly action and so uh, even the grandchild even the grandchildren, mom and th- the grandchildren aren't yours. They they belong to your sons. So I've asked my kids, I said, when your kids come over, I'm gonna lay hands on them. Is that fine? They go, Oh yeah, Dad, go ahead and bless them. Absolutely. I've got permission from them. Now, uh Godchildren, yes, uh God parents cannot lay hands on them, but they can do deprecatory prayers. Why can't you lay why can't God parents lay hands on them? They're not your children. they're not your children non relatives no uh friends can't lay hands on other friends that's nowhere found in the Bible, but they can do deprecatory prayers like we saw in Ruth chapter three, verse ten. You have one Jewish layperson tell another Jewish layperson, "May the Lord bless you, so you can do that to anybody, but the laying on of hands. Those are, those are particular priestly actions that have to be done with permission.
2: Very good. Just one, one quick question to, to finish this up. Uh, if somebody is not related, there's no relation, and they're told about somebody, for example, that's having some uh, a spiritual phenomenon happening in their home, does that person have the right to go and, and pray uh, in precatory prayers? Uh, in the household and drive away demons because that was a contention among a couple of the uh, Knights of Columbus uh, uh, council that I belong to, that we belong to. And uh, yeah, that, that was something that I had to say, no, you have no authority there. You, you can't
1: do that. A hundred percent. You're right. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example because the, the, the divine law, it mirrors the natural law. So I'll, 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 make it very clear Eddie if and when I go visit you if I don't like the way your furniture is arranged in your house I can't go and visit you and you know you get up and go to the bathroom and all of a sudden you're gone for a few minutes and I'm in your living room and I start rearranging the pictures and the furniture and and and, and everything you know the, all your your the tables when you come back you say well what happened Oh, Eddie, I don't like the way you had things in your living room. Well, Jess, I don't care if you don't like it. It's my house. You're just a visitor. (laughs) Dude, don't ever do that again. You have no authority or permission to rearrange my living room. You're just a visitor. That's the exact parallel description of spiritual authority. The only ones that have spiritual authority to drive anything out of the house are those people that have the deed to the house. Those people that call that house my home. The structure that you live in, you call it my home. I call it a house because I don't live there. I say that's Eddie Chavez's house. You say that's my home. Only the person that calls it home has authority to bless the home and to drive demons away from the home. Is that understandable? Perfect, perfect. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I think there's one more question before we go to under topic.
2: Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, is that the ladies' question we're asking? Uh, oh no, that that was what that was covered before. So let me give you the last one here, Jess. Um,
1: Something about you know, the- actually, Can you read it? Because I'm not. I'm not sure. Oh, here. Okay. It is yeah. Oh, go, ahead. It, go ahead, Jess. I think it's. I think it's. Is the. Is the official Catholic exorcist uh, is is the official Catholic exorcist does he have a right to do exorcism over Hindu people? Some Catholic priests in India claim to perform exorcism on Hindus and say the demon disappears. That is why I asked uh, what I wish to know is whether they are given actual rights over Hindus for, for for performing exorcism as we know a bishop gives a right to perform exorcism within his diocese. Does it have relevance to people of other faith? Good question. Okay. Remember, a bishop's authority comes, comes because he's the successor of the apostle. And so his authority is geographical. In fact, the word diocese means territory in Greek. So he has spiritual authority over that territory where he's been assigned to. And it doesn't depend on an individual's religion the the bishop has authority over the the entire territory over every person and every demon now here's where here's where we have the snafu it's going to have a, if, if let's just say you take a hindu a possessed hindu to the diocesan bishop or to the exorcist that has the mandate from the bishop okay It's going to have little effect because, number one, the Hindu's not baptized. The Hindu doesn't have sanctifying grace through the sacraments. Remember, the sacraments are essential to being liberated from demons because we know that demons enter through mortal sin, unconfessed, unrepented mortal sin, and they hold on to and remain in the person through heresy. Well, Hindus believe in many gods. They're polytheists. Uh, Some of them are openly demon gods like the goddess Kali and the goddess uh, Medusa. I mean, D- Hindus have open demon gods, Hindus. And we know that Psalm 95 says the gods of the Gentiles are demons. So, without the sacraments and confession and communion, it's almost impossible to be liberated of diabolical affliction or possession. Now, a Catholic exorcist possesses the authority of the bishop who possesses the authority of Christ. Uh it's Christ alone who decides when a person will be liberated from the devil and by what exorcist if a it... well, hold on to that I'll finish it up on the next segment Jesus 911 2 man car Jess Romero Eddie Chavez we'll be right back answering some questions some email questions from the audience stick around
0: to Jesus 911 If this call is not an emergency dial 888-526-2151 Hinduism
1: If a uh, so as I was saying if a Hindu seeks a Catholic exorcist for help that indicates that the Hindu is moving towards Christ and his church so that's a good sign Liberation is possible, but it will not be complete and definitive until the Hindu embraces the Catholic faith and starts receiving the sacraments to bring his or her healing of the soul and union with God the Father. Now, if God allows a Hindu to become possessed and seek a Catholic priest, it is for a salvific reason to show the Hindu that he or she needs to embrace Christ and his church. Now, I'm sure there's some Catholic priests in India I've heard. They pray over Hindus, and they may be able to extract lower-level demons. But without the Hindu being baptized and without the sacraments, the priest will not be able to extract the higher-level demons from uh, from the Hindu because the Hindu is a pagan who lives in objective mortal sin. And that's what happens, by the way, in a lot of deliverance sessions. What happens is the priest is able, there'll be horrible manifestations and what the priest is doing he's driving out the lower level demons and you'll see the person will come to complete rest it looks like wow it's over they're gone now what what ended up happening an extraction occurred the deliverance prayers extracted all the lower level demons but the ones, the higher level demons, the possessors, the ones that are called the possessors, they're still there. They just went mute. They said, okay, we're tired of getting beat up. We're just going to shut down and go mute. Because the manifestation is when the demons are showing themselves that they're present. So when they shut down, when they go mute, the higher level demons are saying, okay, we don't want to get beat up anymore. So they just shut down. And a lot of times in deliverance sessions, the lower level demons do get extracted. Uh, but but going back to the hindu when a catholic priest uh in india prays over a hindu because he's diabolically afflicted as the hindu starts diabolically manifesting for a period of time then the manifestation stops again that's probably just an extraction occurred some lower level demons were were taken out but the and the priest may be led to believe that the demons left when what really happened is that the is that the higher demons this, the possessing demons have gone mute, so that the priest stops praying as, and is led to believe that there was a full liberation. All that happens is the demons go mute. Those are the those are the possessing demons, and this is written by Father Ripperger, Father Fortea, Father Amorth. This is all basic uh, the theology of exorcism. Uh, well, Eddie, let's let's jump into our uh, our class time now. Our uh, yes. So next time Eddie you meet with your Knights of Columbus, it just you know real quickly, uh you, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to uh do some correction. Yeah. Well I did some already, but I could do it further now. Thanks, Jess. Yeah, yeah, just and just you just use the natural uh the, the natural law argument. Law right. Just, yeah, yeah. And uh oh, that's they'll, perfect. They'll, that's perfect, Jess. And that explains it, that explains it
2: precisely.
1: That's what I needed, a uh, precise yeah, explanation. Yeah. To do it. And the Bible calls everybody the head of, in Ephesians 5.22, that the man is the head of his household. It doesn't say that the man is head of his neighbor's house. The, the, man, is the, the man is the head of his brother-in-law's house. The man is the head of the, the, the person across the street. No. It's particular. It's geographical. Every man is the head and priest of his house. Period. Every square inch of that property line. Uh, is, is, is under your patriarchal authority to bless and to bind evil spirits. But you can't be doing that to other people's houses because you have no authority. It's like Eddie, you and me were cops. Uh, CHP has no authority to pull somebody over in New York. You do, they're going to say, hey dude, that's an LA, that's a California badge. I don't have to stop and I could speed. You can't do nothing about it. And, mm-hmm. and an NYPD cop or a state trooper, they have no authority to pull somebody over in California. It's the same thing with spiritual warfare. All right, bro. Right. Let's uh, let's jump into a, destroying occult objects. If you want to jump into it?
2: Okay. By now, you should begin to see that everything that demon uh, that the demon does is an aversion of the sacred. If you understand how Catholic sacraments sacramentals work, for example, then you can see how curse objects work in the occult world. Sacramentals such as the Saint Benedict's medal or the Miraculous medal the scapular, holy water, blessed salt, or even a rosary, all carry the blessing and power of Jesus Christ through the prayer of the church. They are used to bear a spiritual influence, blessing, and protection upon persons, objects, and places through the power of Jesus Christ. The spiritual effects are obtained through the intercession of the church and even help the faithful to be disposed to receive the chief effects of the sacraments And various occasions in life are are rendered holy. The rite of exorcism itself is a sacramental. So the rite of exorcism is a sacramental, not a sacrament. Sacramental. Where the church publicly and authoritatively invokes the name and power of Jesus Christ against evil in the place, object, or person. Ideally, a Catholic home should be filled with crucifixes and sacred art and regularly blessed with holy water and blessed salt by the head of the household. It says both sacraments and cursed objects are inanimate agents of cosmic or spiritual power. One through the cosmic power of Christ and uh, and the Church, and the other through the ruler of this world, uh, as Satan is called by Jesus. That's found in John 12. In an aversion of the uh, blessed sacramental, cursed objects are used are also used to bear a spiritual influence through malefice and subterfuge, upon places, objects, and people by the devil's power. A malefice comes from the Latin meaning to do plus evil. Just as a blessed object invokes what is signified by the prayer of the church, so also do cursed items signify the occult, uh, what the occult practitioner invoked in his incantation upon it. In addition, some items that have been used for grave evil, such as items used in black masses or occult rituals such as in Freemasonry or other witchcraft, or abortion tools, are of themselves cursed and must be destroyed. Other common objects include images and items from other religions such as uh, such as of Buddhas, Hindu, Native American religious items, uh, such as Dream catchers and Coco pre-Christian objects like African tribal masks or other items used in pagan rituals. The second class of these uh, other uh, common objects include uh, any item directly associated with the occult, such as Santa Muerte, Santeria, Voodoo, tarot cards, Ouija boards, amulets, etc. And Masonic regalia, such as rings, swords, Bibles,
1: and aprons, etc. Jesse, you want to comment on some of those? Yeah. Uh... Uh, the, the, the only point I want to make is two points, is that notice that even the rite of exorcism, which is a powerful prayer, uh, it it doesn't equal a sacrament. And that's why you'll find, like, for example, Father Gabriel Amorth, rest in peace. Uh, the reason he had a lot of success in driving out evil spirits is that people that were possessed, not only would he pray for them, but he had them go to confession every week. Every week. So a possessed person. Is told to go to the sacrament of confession. Every seven days. Uh, and, and this is how. Father Immort. This is how he. He, would able to, he was able to soften them up. By 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 putting the person consistently. In sanctifying grace every seven days. It was easier for him to drive demons out. And that's another technique. That also was used by. Monsignor um, John S.F. The oldest exorcist in this country. Uh, weekly confession. Father Fortea. So I mean this is. The father, Father Ripperger. This is what they use, because what you do is 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 you're you're basically uh, think about this. Demons like pig pens. Just think about the story in Mark chapter eight. Jesus uh, cast his demons from a two possessed men into the pigs. So, an exorcist knows that the person is a spiritual pig pen, the soul. So if they send them every seven days to confession. And they're turning that muddy pig pen into a, basically a, 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 a clean room with clean linen sheets and carpet that's just been vacuumed and a, a roaming the air. And everything's been, you know, uh, windexed and pledged. That's what you do. It's easier to drive out the demon when you bring the soul back into sanctifying grace. The second thing I want to point out is, is the power of the sacramentals. And the, the, the other side knows this. Sacramentals give us not sanctifying grace; they give us actual grace. Okay, the moment of te- of a temptation or a trial or bad thought, uh, when when you just feel like you're being you're being uh, tempted by some type of sin, that sacramental that you wear will give you strength at that moment. It will give you the the, the power that you need to to overcome that temptation. And to turn your heart once again towards God. And so sacramentals, they're not superstitious. It's because they've been blessed by the church. They actually emit actual grace the moment when you need it. And I i, I could tell you just a lot of times, there's this one. Uh, I was giving a talk at a parish and the person said, the priest said, that person in the third row, just she's possessed. I'm, 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 the, the exorcist has seen her for the diocese. But she wants to talk to you during the break. I said, yeah, I'll talk to her father. After the break, the, this possessed lady came over to, to talk to me at my table. And the priest had already told me that she's possessed. And she goes, Jesse, I need to ask you some questions. I said, sure. I always wear a big St. Benedict's medal when I go out and preach. Big Saint. So I had my St. Benedict's medal. As she got close to me and she looked at my chest at the medal, my St. Benedict's medal, she goes, no, no, no. And and, and and she put her hands in front of her face. And I'm like, what? Am I that ugly? What's she doing? Then Anita, my wife said, it's a Saint Metal, the St. Benedict, and what I did is I covered it, and then she goes, oh, oh okay, I can talk to you. Please keep that covered. I, can't, I need to ask you questions, but please keep that covered. So I've seen the reaction, because it's, it, 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 I, everywhere I go around the country to give lectures, guess who comes and talks to me during the breaks, Eddie? <laughs> All the energimums from the diocese. Because they see the flyer, I'm doing a spiritual warfare conference, and they say, I'm so-and-so, and I'm seeing Father so-and-so. I'm saying, Father so-and-so, he's the exorcist. Why are you seeing him? Well, that's all I want to talk to you. I said, okay, okay. And so yeah. oftentimes when I talk to them, I have to put my St. Benedict's medal back under my shirt because they have an aversion to it, a physical aversion right in front of me. We'll be right back. We'll continue with this uh, destroying occult objects in the home. Stick around.
0: Now, back to Jesus nine one one. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151.
1: St. Father Pio says, Pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful, and God will hear our prayer. Eddie, we're talking about destroying occult objects in the home. I, I can't hear you, Eddie. I can't hear Eddie. I can't hear him. Eddie, can you hear? Okay. All right. Can you talk?
2: I'm sorry. Okay. yeah, okay. That, that was yeah. my fault. Sorry. Yep. Just one of the things I wanted to mention about some of the objects that we're talking about here. Yep. Some of them are seemingly, you know, they're not like the opposite, which would be a a St. Benedict's cross on, on on a bishop's chest or your chest when you're uh, at, uh, you know, uh, doing the uh, 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 parish mission. Yeah. A parish mission or something, you know, so some of them would be like stuff that you would find in a in a um, in a a gift shop. For example, what got me when I first learned about this was uh, uh, Coco Paley. It's a little a little uh, demon, uh, a Native American demon that looks like he's uh, playing a flute. And uh, he's on a lot of the things that uh, that you could find at a gift shop. The dream catchers, you know, I have a Catholic organization sending me dream catchers in the mail, Jess, and I, I burn them immediately. So <laughs> these are things that would, you wouldn't normally think are, are evil, but they can be, um, uh, they're they're associated with evil and can be used for some rituals. Uh, a perfect example, I would say, Jess, is a little wooden figure that went into the Vatican uh, recently with the Pachamama. That's, ex- that's exactly what that does.
1: Yeah, and Eddie, and I'll tell you why this has happened is because as Catholics, unfortunately, we have lost the ability to discern the clean from the unclean. We, we have. There, there's a verse in, in the book of Jonah, chapter 3, I think it's verse 11. It says that the, uh, the Assyrians in Nineveh no longer know the right hand from their left hand. Well, that's like America. That's like Catholics. Most Catholics don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know what's clean from unclean. Uh, and that's again, this is why this is one of the reasons why this pro- we have this program, and this is one of the reasons why Liber Crystal exists, is because uh, most Catholics they need to they need to be sharpened in the in their understanding of spiritual warfare.
2: Yep, that's it.
1: Yep. So should we go on, Jess? Yep, pick it up yeah, from
2: there. If you have any such objects in your possession, we recommend that you destroy them specifically, that they be blessed, burned, and buried by the head of the household or the owner of the items. After sprinkling the objects with holy water, pray the following. In the name of Jesus Christ and by the authority as head of household or as rightful owner of this object, given to me by God the Father Almighty through the natural law, I ask Jesus Christ to bless this item and to decommission any evil from it. These occult items give honor to false gods, their demons, and greatly violate the first commandment. And therefore, the items should be burned. Uh, If they are made of a material that cannot burn, then the image and form should be destroyed either by crushing or melting. Finally, the remnants should be buried or the ashes cast into deep running water. The object should be unrecognizable and unusable at the time you either bury it or uh, place it into running water. Confession is also important. Uh, according to Father Rittberger, confessing occult-related sins can sometimes break a malefice. We also recommend the act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Fatima prayer, uh, prayer of breaking curses, and prayer against retaliation when you do this. Uh, that's also found in Appendix C of the book. Uh, uh, it says after the threefold process of bless burn and bury it is laudable to pray prayers of reparation for the offenses against the sacred heart of jesus with the prayer of reparation it says uh, most loving jesus when i consider thy tender heart and see it full of mercy and tenderness towards sinners my own heart is filled with joy and confidence that i shall so that i shall so that i shall be so kindly welcomed by thee unfortunately How many times have I sinned, but now with St. Peter and St. Mary Magdalene, I weep for my sins and detest them because they offend thee, infinite goodness. Mercifully grant me pardon for them all and let me die rather than offend thee again. At least let me live only to to love thee and love thee in return. Amen." Uh, yeah, just that's that's uh, that's a prayer that they recommend that you say, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll do really quick, just I remember there was a uh, when my mother worked at the San Fernando Mission gift shop, she called me and said that a young lady had gone in there and wanted uh, wanted some help because she asked a simple question: if there's something used for evil, where can I get rid of it? So uh, what had happened was they were having some problems in the family. They lit a holy candle and placed it on the dresser. Well, that was just a few inches from this. Crucifix that they had on the wall, and if you remember, uh, Jess, we've seen those. They are kind of look kind of green in color, but they're glow in the dark. And uh, anyway, uh, what happened was during prayer, uh, this crucifix spontaneously combusted into flames, Mm -hmm. and uh, I I couldn't believe it. I said, "What do you mean?" And she told me that, and so I said, "Well, where is the where is the uh, the crucifix?" She had it in her purse. Just she produced it and showed it, and it, it, there was a clear point of a uh, uh, where where the where the spark happened, and uh, she had it in her possession. She's I just want to get rid of it. She's just trying to do the right thing. So in turn, you know, I gave it to mm-hmm. to Father Bob, and, and he took care of destroying it. But uh, these are some of the things just that uh, that people have to be aware of that that can happen to the average Catholic who is. Like we just determined, it's not very well catechized and uh, has mixed up the the uh, difference between good and being good and clean and and uh, dirty and sinful.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we're, the word this this whole burn, break, and bury, where does this come from? This comes from the Bible. This this whole protocol that Father Ripperger uses, it comes from Acts chapter nineteen, verses nineteen to twenty. Here's what the Bible says. Uh, 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 says, and a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books. They brought them to Saint Paul, brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to fifty thousand 50, pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew and prevailed mightily. So we see that when Saint Paul preached and people were convicted and they came to 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 a knowledge of Jesus Christ. They brought the cursed objects to him, and they had a big bonfire. It's in Acts chapter 19, verses 19 to 20. So that's the protocol that's basically followed here by Liber Christo. and also you can bury the object that's cursed, or or put it in running water, as, as, uh, as Kyle writes in his book. This uh, so where does this you know put it put scatter it into running water? Where does this come from? This comes from Exodus chapter 32 verse 20 it says this when Moses saw apostasy in the camp his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain Moses did that because he felt the people were unworthy of God's holy and pure law then Moses burned the golden calf and scattered its ashes in the water and made the Israelites drink it so apparently there was running water where he put the ashes of the of the golden calf so uh yeah this is a uh, this is where the liberal crystal model comes from uh, break burn and bury. i had an instance uh last year uh my my grandkids came over they went to my neighborhood and uh and they went trick or treating with their parents now again they're not my kids and so i've told them enough what i believe about halloween but they're going to make their own decisions. And so I said, before you guys go out, let's pray. This is my house. Let's pray before you guys go out. I made sure all my, my grandkids had sacramentals around their neck. And, uh, and, I, and I also said, uh, b- before we left, I had their, their fathers. I said, lay hands on your sons and pray for them before you guys go. So they did. When they came back about an hour later, they said, uh, they go, hey, uh, grandpa, uh, somebody gave me this rock. I said, what? I looked at it. It was a crystal. I said who gave it to you I don't know some one of the houses put a, put a this rock I said it's called a crystal and I said uh, uh and and my and and my son-in-law and my daughter said yeah that's that's weird that, that that's not catholic is that it That's absolutely not catholic so I said okay it's my house I said give me that crystal this is this is a superstitious superstitious object used by the new age movement and also in witchcraft and so it was a moment to teach my son and my and my son-in-law and my grandkids we went to the garage I got a sledgehammer. I smashed the crystal. I, I, I first I put holy water. I did a decommission prayer. I, I said in case there's any evil spirits attached to this crystal, coming into my house or afflicting my grandkids, I, uh, I, I decommission this crystal, and in Jesus' name, be gone. I smashed it with a sledgehammer. I swept it up. I put it in a paper bag. Then we drove to the desert, which is not far from my house. I had a little shovel. I made a little hole and I threw that little, all the contents of that smashed crystal uh, into that hole. And then I covered it. I put holy water and I did a prayer retaliation that none of us would be retaliated against. for, for smashing this occult object and then we went home my boys and my son-in-law and my grandkids have never forgotten that that was a moment to teach them it was a catechesis moment and i walked exactly what you do when somebody gives you an object that's not catholic and you have this you have the hunch that it may be uh something that's used for the occult and crystals are used in the occult they're not used in roman catholicism
2: yeah. yeah, they're used to uh, to bring energy into somebody, Jess. And you know, it's it's kind of a funny thing because, and and you know, I just want to say something. And, and obviously, I'm not accusing any, any of your listeners, but you know, uh, culturally, there are be some Hispanic people that have uh, Aztec calendars in their home. when I found that, I destroyed our my, mine. I, I you know, sprinkled it with holy water. Uh, I did the same thing you did with the uh, with the crystal, and so um, it, it's it's gone now. So, Jess, I mean, these kind of things. May not, but they may have some evil connotations because of what they've been using. So we have to be aware of these things and be, uh, uh, understand them more deeply, I think is what we should say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also what they represent. I mean, you know, even if uh, your particular astec calendar wasn't, uh, you know, dedicated or, or, or prayed over by a Satanist or a shaman, the fact of the matter is what it represents, those little images on the astec calendar. Those are those are demons. Those are Aztec deities, which are demons. So, uh, yeah, Eddie, that's a wrap. We'll continue this classroom time next uh, next Monday. Uh, Pleasure, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us here every single Monday, Jesus Nine One One. We we do our classroom time here, Liber Crystal War College classroom. And uh, up next, Rich, who's up next, brother Matthew Arnold. No-nonsense Catholicism. Tune in and stick around for Matt Arnold. As for us, EOW, we are end of watch. We'll see you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith.